Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Today we're welcoming Andrew Farris onto the show. So hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, Alice. How are you doing? I'm really good. And where are we speaking to you from today? Uh, I'm speaking to you from Newcastle, uh, which is the Sydney Newcastle, mm-hmm. not the Newcastle in Northern England. The accent um, gave it away. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and I drove down the coast uh, today, the New South Wales uh, eastern coast of Australia, to talk to you today. Oh, lovely. Well, thank you for doing that. Appreciate it. Did you say you're in a hotel no today? Well, <laughs> I only checked in about eight minutes ago. And I think the girl at the front reception thought I was, you know, crazier than I look, you know, because um, I was like, I have to get in the room and talk to someone, you know, in England. She's like, right. Um, you know, so I, I sort of ran up here and now we're chatting. So how are you doing? Yeah, we're we're great over here, thank you. Well, I know Melbourne in particular, which I know you're not in, has gone into a bit of a lockdown situation again. So what's it like uh, where you are? Or is it not as severe there? Uh, New South Wales, the state that I'm calling from, uh, is not as bad mm, as Victoria down there in Melbourne, yeah. And I feel sorry for the people down in Victoria. You know, they're, we're all Aussies over here, you know, Um but they're quarantined at the moment, and they've got state borders shut and stuff, which is all a bit, bit strange, really. Mm. Um, how's it? How's it all going there? Um, it's okay, actually. Well, I mean, I think you hear every now and then that the numbers are creeping up a little bit again. But it's almost like the news got bored of reporting on it, to be honest. Because I thought the other day, I don't know how many people are contracting it. It was on on the news all the time at the beginning, and now not so much. But you just have to wear a mask if you go to the supermarket. It's a bit tricky if you want to go to a restaurant or a pub. You have to um, go in groups of, I think it's up to six. I'm not even really sure at the moment, to be honest, but it's not too bad. Um, but hopefully we don't have to go back into a more serious one because I just don't know if people pay attention properly, you know? Yeah, that's right. And um, has anyone in your family been infected by by the virus? No, luckily, no one. And um, what about you? No, so far so good. Thank you. Good. Yeah. That's really good to hear. Um, yeah, I've seen as well. You've you've owned a farm in the Tamworth area for over twenty eight years. So, do you do any of the farm work yourself then, or do you just own it? Uh, yeah, I get my hands dirty. It's a pretty big property. Uh, I bought it uh, in the middle of the uh, well, the height actually, I suppose, of an excess's career. Oh, um, nice. You know, and I yeah, and and I I just really. I found living out of a suitcase and hotels or whatever um, wasn't very good for me, um, you know, my head or my body or whatever. Um, and so I decided, you know, that I would buy a block of dirt. And, yeah, I work physically on the property. I get my hands dirty and then wash them again. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, you know, basically I do – I have my property uh, has cattle and grains when it rains. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because we we were in severe drought for about three years on the property and that was pretty scary, to be honest. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah. When was that then? Well, that started around about, uh, well, in our district anyway because, you know, the eastern seaboard of Australia is a pretty big area. Um, but in our district it sort of started, I suppose, around about towards the middle of 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it sort of went on and on and got worse and worse. 
Um, but this year, 2020, uh, you know, thank God it's been a lot better and we've had some decent rainfall and uh, a lot of the people in our area uh, are much better off. Mm, just some other unfortunate things going on in the world uh, at the same time, unfortunately. But, you know, you can't have everything, can you? No. Well, that's right. We sort of lurched from the drought, um, which was all over the media, and then we went through these horrific bushfires here in Australia from the drought to the yes. bushfires. early on in and January, wasn't it? A, yeah, that's right. And the media forgot all about the drought and they went to the, to the bushfires. And the next minute we're in the uh, virus. You know, so it's been a hell of a year, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's been interesting. That's the word I'd use. Interesting, yeah. hmm, challenging. Uh, we'll never speak of this yeah. year again after it's done. That would just be best. We'll all move on. But um, how has lockdown been yeah, treating right. you well, in general? What have you been up to? Have you been keeping creative? Have you been getting into? Some people have been getting into gardening for the first time ever. What have you been up to? Well. I've always been a songwriter and I've always been a creative person with, you know, musically. Mm-hmm. I've worked as a record producer. Um, prior to the, the virus and even the drought, uh, I was getting ready to launch an LP, which I started to release uh, two songs. I had two singles out. Um, but during this particular period of time, uh, the record company, uh, both in America and Australia, advised me to think twice about putting the album out because all the people that were working, you know, normally in the offices for the record company all went home, you know. Um, And so I thought about that and I thought, you know, they're right, actually. And so I suggested to them, because I was very frustrated at first, well, I've got another idea, which is I've got some other tracks, which was actually going to be released after my LP, um, and I had artwork ready for it, just luckily. And I said, could I put out an EP? And they said, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm doing now. Okay. Um, yeah. Great. And should you have been, did you have any tours or any performances planned that you had to cancel? Would you have been doing that at the moment if everything had been normal this year? Absolutely. Yeah, actually, uh, my wife, uh, Marlena, and I, well, she's originally from the United States, from Ohio, mm-hmm. and obviously I'm an Aussie. Um, although I did live in England for nearly five years until my kids were born there, and I do have British family. But anyway, um, we were, yep, we were about to uh, get on a plane and go to the States, both to see her family and go to Nashville and promote my sort of country folk music rock, you know, project thing I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then, of course, the government said, no, you're not going anywhere. You're going to stay here, you know, because the virus. And I said, um, but I've found, uh, Alice, strangely enough, that out of something that started off very negatively, uh, besides the, the health risks for everybody involved, I've actually found this period of time quite a healing time to focus on, you know, the people closest to me in my life and make me reevaluate why I'm doing certain things that I do um, and work on the farm, something enough. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. A lot of people have been saying similar things. They've found it a reason to take a little pause and they realise they perhaps haven't done that in a very, very long time. So, you know, the time is now really, isn't it? That's right. You only get four pause. <laughs> very good. 
<laughs> you got it. There you nicely go. done. Nicely done. Oh, obviously, we're going to talk about your solo stuff, but we must, we must, we must talk about In Excess just a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. Um, so, obviously, uh, our listeners will probably know anyway, you've sold over 50 million records with In Excess, toured all over the world. Um, what were those early years with the band like? Um, what, what are your memories of that time? Well, we had a lot of highs and lows, like any act starting out, you know, uh, I mean, I'll quote John Lennon here, you're lucky if anyone likes you, Um, and that was what it was like for us, you know, we just didn't really know, we tried our luck, you know, uh, around the pubs, we were one of those sort of Aussie pub bands um, that came out sort of after ACDC and Cold Chisel and Midnight Oil and all these acts, Um, we were in there with them, all of these sort of people running around playing pubs in Australia, and then we started to take our fortunes overseas well you know we ended up working in 52 countries but along the way we began to discover that not to get disheartened if you go somewhere and people aren't crazy about you just go somewhere else and maybe they'll like you <laughs> that's good you know um yeah you know um and in the end we felt really blessed that anybody did like us and it got more and more full on mm. And when did you start to think, yeah. oh, wow, I think we've made it? There must have been a moment where you thought people do like us now or this is going to be big now. Right. Um, I sort of freaked out a bit uh, on our, uh, I suppose it was our fifth studio album, which was Listen Like Thieves. And uh, we had a top five hit in the US off that album. We'd had, we'd had top 40 hits around the world before. But that particular song was what you need. Mm-hmm. And it was top five in the US and everyone seemed to think that, you know, we were better than sliced bread at that point. And I remember getting a phone call from a manager, Chris Murphy at the time, and he said, you must be so excited. You must want to go out and drink champagne and celebrate or something. And I put down the phone, which is an old landline those days. I put down the phone um, and I sort of felt really uncomfortable and I was walking around and I couldn't figure out why, you know, I should have been party, you know, great. And then it occurred to me that once we were starting to have like top sort of five hits around the world with certain songs, which we'd already had number one songs in other countries, including obviously Australia, uh, France, uh, you know, uh, Argentina, um, and, you know, uh, New Zealand, other countries, I don't can't remember exactly where and when and how back then. But there was something that made me uncomfortable. And then I remember speaking to Michael, who obviously was alive back then, and I said, do you feel like I do? And he said, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? And I said, well, and we both realized what it was, was we began to realize that is this as good as it's ever going to get? You know, like, is this the highest? You know what I mean? Like, is this the biggest achievement we're ever going to do? You know, and and if it is, great. But that's why on the following album that In Excess made for Kick, we had a massive album because the two of us decided with the songwriting to just pull out all stops and you know do the whatever whatever we could do to make that album the songwriting as in, you know as good as possible. And that's exactly what happened. You know, um, it was a huge album. Yeah, it really was. And what was your songwriting process together like? Did you have your own individual roles or did you adapt for each particular song together? Yeah, there was a bit of adapting going on. Um, I mean, Michael was always, a, a, you know, such a 
I don't know how to put it, a free spirit, a very bohemian sort of guy. Um, I was a bit more sort of nor- normal in that in that in that sense of you know I sleep in the same bed and go home and you know like you know uh, have slippers or whatever I suppose you know if you like if mm-hmm. you know what I mean very um, civilized but you know <laughs> yeah um, but that's where the two of us were a bit polarized as people. Michael was such a uh, you know, such a, a friendly sort of social guy. He loved running around, you know, meeting all sorts of new people and discovering new things and going to new countries and doing all that sort of thing. But I think what happened with us as songwriters was that we didn't do the normal sort of professional songwriter thing where you get in a room with two acoustic guitars. Well, first of all, he didn't play an instrument. Um, you know, his instrument really was his voice. And he was a great lyricist. And I knew that uh, since we were kids. And so musically, I was very fortunate because I had a lot of, I had a big canvas to work from all the time. And we'd we'd discuss ideas together. But he wouldn't talk in musical terms in a music theory sense. He'd sort of say, well, this one needs to be a bit darker or needs to be a bit lighter or, you know, a bit faster or a bit funkier or whatever. And, And I'd be like, yeah, all right, okay. And I'd think about that. Or I'd turn up with whole songs, you know, and ideas and stuff, and we'd pick bits from what I'd done, and I'd we'd pick bits of his lyrics. But the interesting thing was we didn't spend that much time in the room together. Oh, really? Uh, a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, pe- people think, oh, you must have spent hours and hours sitting around in a room, right? I said, no. Actually, most of the time, it was quite sort of funny. We'd sort of, we were like, you know, I'm like, hey, mate, how you going? He'd go, good, yeah. Where are you off to? I'm going out tonight, you know, uh, to a restaurant with some mates. I said, okay, well, here, what do you think of this? And I'd play something to him. He'd go, I like that. And he'd say, well, let's work on that tomorrow. I said, sure. <laughs> so most of the time, a lot of what we worked on was, was I don't know how to put this, but we never really slaved over too much stuff together. And I actually think that was one of the better things about our songwriting that I still like today is there's a freshness to some of our songwriting mm. that's hard to put your finger on. And I think it's because we didn't give it surgery most of the time. We just went, well, that's it, isn't it? You know, do you like that? Yeah, I like that. Do I like it? Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you I didn't said, agonize it was, over it, yeah. No, no. And, we were, and, I, and it wasn't an egotistical thing. It was just like the way we like to work. And, and the way Michael was as a person, he was very much a sort of an Aquarius spirit as a person. He liked to be you know, out in the clouds all the time, you know. I mean, he had his feet on the ground, but I meant like he was a very very much a kind of a a sort of a, a dreamer who would action dreams rather than actually fantasize about things. Mm-hmm. He would make them real. And I was, yeah. you know, always a pretty earthy person, you know, um, uh, you know, myself. And so I, that was one of the main ways that songwriters we really connected was, was not pushing each other into strange corners or areas where we didn't need to go. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it sounds like you worked very well together and you had that great balance as well. And, of course, you've written many songs that have stood the test of time together, of course. So what about, yeah, of course, Never Tear Us Apart, so 1988. Let's just have a quick listen to remind ourselves. So this is, of course, Never Tear Us Apart. Don't ask me. What you know is true Don't have to tell you I love your babe 
precious heart I I was standing You were there Two worlds collided And they could never tear us apart one's really stood the test of time you know it's been covered numerous times hasn't it so did you have a feeling when you wrote that one that it was a great song or that you know it was something special or did you not did you not think of it in that way at the time well no not really actually i, I remember playing the music of never terrorist part originally to mike uh michael hutch uh at and we were at a a&r guy's house in new zealand and everyone was playing tennis and i got a bit bored and i said hey michael come in here, I want to play you something. And the guy had a piano in his house. And I went over and I played the, the music of Never Tear Us Apart. And he said, oh, I really like that. And he, he said, give me a minute. And he sort of wandered off and came back later on. He said, what do you think of this? It was literally like that. And everyone's playing tennis outside. And then later on, he came around to my, my flat, you know, the unit back then. And we tracked it together. And I thought, oh, that sounds really good. But the funny thing was, when it went on the Kick album, uh, I thought, to be really honest with you, I thought it didn't really suit the album. Okay. Um, I thought it was, yeah, you know, I thought it was, in fact, I think a few of us were like, this song is sort of really different than the rest of the of that Kick album. You know, we were we were really trying back then to lock in some sort of funk rock stuff that really, you know, was important to us and our live shows or whatever. And to have a three, four time old waltz feel in a ballad was like, you know, it was kind of like, I don't know. It was, it was a strange thing, but Chris Thomas, the the record producer of an amazing record producer, um, he said, no, it has to go on the album, you know, um, it's just a real classic song. But yeah. we didn't know it at the time. You know, he knew it, but we didn't. Oh, that's interesting. And what about Need You Tonight? I'm asking you because that's my personal favourite. What an absolutely fantastic song that is. And obviously that did particularly well in the UK as well, uh, amongst other places. So let's have a quick listen. So this is Need You Tonight, of course. Let you know You wanna make a 
something about you, girl That makes me sweat What was the process with this song and how did you write it? And did you think that one was a, a big one as well? Was it a similar thing where you weren't sure? Well, actually, that one I had a feeling was really important. Uh, I had called a cab to take me from Sydney to Hong Kong, where Michael was living at the time, and I was going to go fly over there and write songs with him and take some of the songs that I'd already, you know, started to work on over and join him. Well, anyway, uh, I wrote the music for that and put down the parts and the riffs or whatever. But while I was doing that, I began to get really uncomfortable because I was running out of time. The cab turned up, and suddenly I had this really sort of panic anxiety moment where I realized what I was doing was actually, I think, more important than I first thought with that song. And, of course, the cab driver was you know, saying, what are you doing, mate? You know, and I'm going, well, uh, I'm coming. Uh, I'm, you know, and I'd run back in and I'd, I'd record some more. And I was terrified he'd drive off because I, I would lose that flight to go over and work with Michael. Well, anyway, I grabbed back then a cassette recording off, off the tape recorder that I was running, and I'd, I'd program the drum machine that you know you can hear on the record. I programmed those beats or whatever. And then I got in the cab and I drove to the airport, got out of the cab, and went to the, went to the Watson Cedarhaar State in Hong Kong and I walked through the door, and Michael was sitting there, and there was a, a tape engineer, and he, and he, a recording engineer, and he, I put the cassette on. And he goes, "Oh, that's that, oh, that's cool, I like that." And he, and he started scribbling a lyric down, and he said to the recording engineer, "Can you run a mic for me?" And I'd only been there for like ten or fifteen minutes, and I swear, the vocal that you hear on that song is exactly what he's saying. Really. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> crazy. No, that really bizarre. Yeah, crazy. That's right. <laughs> and, and the two of us looked at each other and went, what's that? Do you know what I mean? Like, and then we took it back with some other songs we wrote together there, and that was part of what ended up on the Kick album, mm. um, is that you know those things that we did together. And I remember Chris Thomas got really excited when he heard it. He said, I love this. Um, you know, uh, and, and the band was right into it as well. Uh, but Michael and I were very lucky in in excess because my brothers and and Kirk and Gary that were all like brothers really back then. We went through a lot of shit together. Excuse my French. Uh, well, it's not really actually French anyway. It's nerd, I suppose. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, it was more that we just really felt really supported by the band. It wasn't very competitive. They gave us a lot of artistic freedom michael and i and i i'm always eternally grateful to those guys for that yeah know? of course and do you think yeah. you'll ever have plans to perform again even a one-off or anything in future or would you never say never oh maybe yeah never say never um because you don't know really um but yeah you know i love playing with with the nxs guys uh, they're some of the best musicians in the world um and i i know what they went through and what they did and what they're capable of because I went through it with them, mm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I know um, on to, you know, the other, let's call it, chapter of your career, you've spent a lot of time writing in Nashville. Um, so how did Nashville inspire your songwriting and how has that changed and evolved since your In Excess days, do you think? Yeah, well, that's interesting. I actually didn't start off going to Nashville as a sort of a, 
um, a kind of a songwriting mecca, although it is, in fact, really like that. Um, and I've met some amazing people uh, in Nashville. And because of my career as a songwriter, uh, both within Excess and other people, that when I went to Nashville, I was very fortunate to have had a lot of doors open for me with some sort of older writers and younger writers and people who are very, very, very talented. Um, but my journey there didn't actually start with going to Nashville. My wife, Marlena's family, come from Dayton in Ohio, which is about five and a half hours drive to Nashville. So I said to Marley one day, which is what I call her, I said, hey, babe, let's get in the car and we'll go to Nashville, you know. Um, okay, she says, so we get in the car and we drove there and I thought, wow, this is fun. I like this town. Um, people still play live music and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you go down Broadway and there's, you know, there's a, there's a live band playing in every single little club or bar and it's really cool. Um, and so I thought, well, we'll have to come back here again. Um, and that, even though In Excess used to go through Nashville and play as In Excess, uh, this was different. And when I started to go there and, and songwrite with people, I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about other people's work. But mostly what happened to me was around that time, which is how my solo sort of country music thing really bit into me, was that, which I didn't see coming at first, was... I began to ride horses down on the Mexican border with Marlena. Okay. And we used to, yeah, we used to uh, ride horses down in the National Monument areas in Arizona, New Mexico, and on the Mexican border where the Chiricahua Mountains are. And I used to ride around. I went down there four or five times, actually. And then I'd go back to Nashville, and I'd listen to the sort of the pop country stuff that they were riding, and I began to realize there was a lot of similarities between the way that, you know, pop EDM or pop rock or pop, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, pop country. And I began to recognize that something in me switched and I went, you know what, I, I, I really enjoy writing in with all you people, but now I want to know about the Old West. I want to know about the songs that people were writing about that inspired people like Johnny Cash or Willie Nelson and that old series of people who came before, um, I want to know what inspired them and where they got their inspiration from. And I began to realize it was partly what I was already learning, you know, about riding around and getting an education from, from wranglers and cowboys about the tombstone area down there uh, in the bottom of America um, on the border of Mexico Um and learning about the Apache Indians and where Geronimo surrendered and Cochise's stronghold, Apache Pass, uh, you know, how the Mexicans were fighting, you know, the U.S. Cavalry, U.S. Cavalry would fight the Apaches. And all this stuff was going on down there. And I said, I want to write songs about that. Mm. And I had people kind of looking at me like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I know it's not pop music. I know, I know, I know. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, but that's what I want to write about, okay? Mm. You know? And how did your fans react to your new country sound when you first came out with it? Well, so far, so good. I think some of them are like, uh, Andrew's really lost his mind now, you know. Um, (laughs) You know, where are you, brother? You know, um, but I'm feeling good. I'm not, 
I'm not lost. I know what I'm doing. Um, I hope somebody likes what I'm doing. Um, I feel that our cultures we have in all countries, not just the United States, the same as Australia. Australia's, you know, culture, you know, is not like Europe. Um, you know, Australia's culture is a bit similar to the United States where we had bush rangers and, you know, uh, we had indigenous peoples, uh, you know, who were very much had their own way of life and culture. And then we had the Europeans, you know, in Australia, uh, very similar to what happened in the United States. And I began to draw parallels in my songwriting between the influences of the early Europeans bringing Irish folk music and what would become country-fied instruments were actually classical instruments like uh, violins and and the combination of these instruments with drums like banjos and all this sort of stuff, you know, I suddenly sort of recognised that I was getting an education not only in how to songwrite about all this stuff, but a cultural education in the similarities that exist between so many countries. Mm. And um, the new single, All the Stars Are Mine, so obviously that's taken from the EP. Let's have a quick listen to All the Stars Are Mine. So here's the new track. I live in a foreign country We do the same things differently And that's okay I'd like to get to know you Because you're different than me So what inspired this song and um, what, what's the message behind this one? Okay. I co-wrote that song uh, with Susie DeMarkey. I'm a huge fan of Susie. She has had an amazing career here in Australia with a band called The Baby Animals when she was living in the United States uh, quite some time ago. I wrote this song with her. Uh, and the song really talks about just being open-minded with other people from other countries, that our cultures, sometimes we think of other cultures being very different than our own, but the only thing that separates us is land. You know, mo- most, yeah. most of us want the same things. We all have mothers, fathers, daughters, brothers, sons. You know, we, we are all, a, you know, we're all connected in that sense. And most of us want the same things. We want to feed our families. We want to find a good job, you know, find someone that loves us. And that's really what the song is about, is that we're all we're all kind of refugees. Everybody's a refugee, even when they're in their own country. I remember when I, I couldn't find a job when I was younger for a while. And I, it was scared. I was scared, you know. Um, I didn't know how I was going to put food on the table. I was on the other side of the country. Um, Mum and Dad didn't live near me. They were 3,000 miles away. And we're all refugees from something, you know? Mm-hmm, exactly. And um, what mm. do you think intends to inspire your songs now as opposed to in excess? Is it a different mindset that you're in when it comes to, you know, drawing inspiration for what inspires your songs now? 
Absolutely. I mean, obviously, it was a massive, you know, thing to deal with with my songwriting partner, Michael, leaving because we were such a good partnership. But I, I felt since then, I've slowly but surely become more at ease with my, which I always, I always wrote lyrics actually for the early, especially the early days of an excess. I, I wrote quite a lot of lyrics actually. Michael encouraged it. Um, but in more recent years, I've worked with so many other songwriters uh, from different nationalities. And I began to recognize that, you know, hey, Andrew, you know, you know, spring chicken, brother, just have faith in your own mm. capabilities. And if you want to say something, choose your words carefully and say it, mm. you know, um, that. And also sometimes when you, well, actually most of the time, when you co-write with someone else and you might be stuck for an idea or you, you may be feeling that the lyric that you're working on may not be hitting the right vein the blood vein that you're really looking for in in a lyric, the other person will just sit there and blow you away because they say, oh, you're trying to say this, aren't you? And you go, yeah, that's right, you know. Mm-hmm. And just in that moment, you go, beautiful, that's beautiful mm. because you you summed it all up, you know. And what about um, the, the forthcoming, the new EP, Love Makes the World? So what can fans expect from that then? Um, right, uh, that, well, the EP is a five track, uh, there's five songs on it mm-hmm. and they don't all sound the same. Um, some of the songs, are a reflection of where I've gone with my country sort of folk rock and some of the songs are a little bit more reflective on things that have happened to me in my life and people mm-hmm. around me, um, which are hard to explain in, in two minutes or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, but one of the songs on the EP called First Man on Earth uh, is a song I co-wrote with Guy Chambers. Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. How did you come to work with yeah. him? Yeah. Well, well, Again, we, we need more than two minutes to talk about that. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but no, I really, really respect Guy. Um, he's a very good person, uh, an incredibly talented songwriter and record producer, uh, someone I have enormous respect for. Um, and we, we both wrote First Man on Earth. Uh, he was busy that morning. I went to the studio and I tracked all the synthesizer stuff and beats and you know, whatever it was we were doing or I was doing by myself. And Guy came back in and he goes, what's this? I said, well, this is what I've been doing while you were busy. <laughs> and he goes, I love it. And so he grabbed the pen and we started working on a lyric together and that's what First Man on Earth is. It's eight minutes and eight seconds long. Wow, quite a long track then. Yeah, it's really boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you say so. I'm sure it's not. I hope not. I hope not too. Um, So what about, just quickly, um, what about the rest of the year? What are your plans? Are you just focusing on the EP for now and then working on the album for when that's out? Well, 
I'm lots of things, really. I'm a dad, uh, so I've always focused on 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 my kids. Um, I'm also a husband, focused on my wife, um, and I focus on my music. And the reason I, I put them in that order is because I've realised one thing I learnt from the first part of my music career is it's no use getting a platinum album if you don't have a life to hang it on. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And so most of the time now, I spend making sure that the people in my life I'm closest to, they're comfortable with what I'm doing. And if I'm not comfortable that they're comfortable, then I change what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's a lovely mindset to have as well because it can be so go, 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 can't it? You have to sit back and reflect what you're doing it all for, you know, so that you can perhaps spend time with your loved ones, do things with them, etc. So you've got to make time for that, haven't you? Exactly. Okay. Well, I think that's a, a perfect note to uh, release you on then, Andrew. Um, how's my timekeeping? Oh, I've gone a little bit over. Tut, tut. I must try harder. But um, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you, um, you know, rushing into the hotel room to, to get on the phone to us today. Yeah. It's been absolutely lovely to talk to you. Yeah, same, Alice. And uh, take care, all of you who are listening to this, and stay safe. Yeah, you too. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Bye-bye. Bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.